Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Those of you who want to follow in your you're welcome to open at Genesis 3. This morning I want to um, just talk a little bit about freedom in relationship. And um, <clears throat> freedom is, a, I think, a very important topic to us, and I'll... Um, I'll tell you why in a moment. But um, relationship is also important to us. Relationship. Everyone wants good relationships. Uh, and everyone also wants freedom. But relationships aren't easy. I mean, I'm, I'm either only one that doesn't find relationships that easy. And I'm talking about relationships in general. But um, especially your more intimate relationships. Not close friendships, but marriage and, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think there's been an easy relationship since the Garden of Eden. <laughs> since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I think before that, their relationship was easy. I think after that, pretty much nothing was easy. We often, one of the reasons why we often do not find relationship easy is only because when we have relationship, the person that we have relationship or the people that we have relationships with is. Haven't you found that? <laughs> People that you have a relationship with are all sinners, you know. They, 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 they're constantly getting things wrong and disobeying God. And you tell them, you tell them, what are you up to? You know, what are you doing? You know, what, what? Yeah, I, see, I see Natasha's like me. She's also telling everyone, you know, sinning, you know. <laughs> but uh, the problem is it's obviously not only the fact that... Um, you know, you're in relationship with people who are sinners, but, but we ourselves are sinners, right? We ourselves get things wrong. We, are, we ourselves have baggage and hurts. We don't come into relationship free. We come into relationship with all kinds of bondage, all kinds of hurts. And the reality is hurting people hurt hurting people. And I mean that in both ways. <laughs> we come in with hurt. And then we hurt one another. We, 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 we don't come into relationship free. We don't come into friendship free. We don't come into marriage free. You know, as I've, I've often heard people say, you know, love like you've never been hurt before. And, and the reason why we have to say that is because all of us have been hurt before. Uh, and we sometimes find it difficult to love as we haven't been hurt before. So we come into relationship with this, this bondage and, and, and this baggage. Let me just read for us from... From Genesis chapter 3. I'm actually just going to read the last verse in chapter 2 and then into, verse, into chapter 3. Uh, the well-known story of the, the Garden of Eden. And it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Then chapter 3 goes on. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. The Lord God had made. He said to the woman, the snake said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to gain wisdom, she took some of it and 
it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both opened, and they realized that they were naked, and they I, I always think of, when I read that verse, I always think of, you know, how embarrassed I sometimes am, or how embarrassed I sometimes was at my parents' choice of clothing. My, my, um, my, my dad used to wear a safari suit. I don't know if you guys remember that. Some of you are too young. You don't even know what a safari suit is. Now, when I was young, I thought that was very uncool. <laughs> but, um, you know, my, my parents, you know, sense of, of, of fashion is nothing compared to Adam and Eve. You know, poor Cain and Abel and Seth, you know. They were like, Dad, what did you guys wear in your day? No, we wore fig leaves. <laughs> what? <laughs> So they sewed, together, sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Which uh, the tree that I command you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me. <laughs> the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And uh, then we know she said, uh, The snake deceived her and she ate. And. Um, so, what, what we see here is a monumental loss of freedom on the part of Adam and Eve. And we've been suffering from that loss of freedom ever since. Uh, you know, our, our culture really values freedom. And I, and I think, in fact, if you look at Western culture in general... One of our highest values, in fact, arguably our highest value, is freedom. We like having human freedoms, human rights, and being free. Uh, I, I was, some of you might have um, seen the, what's that uh, story, Frozen. Okay? And if you, at the time when Frozen came out, had any five to ten-year-old girls in your life, you would probably know this, the words of the song, Let It Go. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> well, if you, if, you listen, if you listen carefully to the words of the song, at one stage it says, It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Okay? And that so captures the spirit of the age. That so captures the values of Western culture. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And, and, and um, it, it sort of gives us the world's definition. What, what, when we say we value freedom and we're striving for freedom as a culture or whatever, what kind of freedom are we striving for? And this tells us it's freedom from constraints. Freedom from the rules, freedom from right and wrong, freedom to do what we want to do. That's the kind of freedom we, we want. That's what we think freedom is, freedom from constraints. It's, uh, the technical term is absolute negative freedom, which means freedom from all constraints. And um, 
I think in, in South African culture, that sense of wanting to be free, of valuing freedom and, and desiring freedom is even higher. Because if you look at our South African culture, uh, most of our cultures were formed in South Africa because we were seeking freedom. If you, if you look at the French Huguenots and so on, they came to South Africa because, you know, there was a f- terrible persecution under the, the, the Roman Catholic Church in Europe. Uh, and some of you might know the stories of St. Bartholomew's Day and, and how um, the, the, the Huguenots were just slaughtered and some of the women raped to death. Terrible things were done, absolutely terrible things. And, and the Huguenots fled Europe and ended up all across the world, but one of the places they ended up, up was South Africa. So it was fleeing for their lives and, 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 and seeking freedom that brought the French Huguenots here in the f- first place. Same thing with, with the, the Dutch settlers and stuff. When they felt like they were uh, being oppressed by the British, what did they do? The Groot Trek. We're going to move out and we're going to be free somewhere else. Um, same thing um, with, you know, the black people of South Africa who were oppressed under apartheid. The struggle. What was it? It was a struggle for freedom. So all of our cultures say, share this in common, this striving after freedom, this yearning for freedom. So I think this, this general climate and mood of wanting to be free and valuing freedom as the highest value is possibly even heightened in South Africa. Um, so it's, it's not only our baseline, culture, baseline cultural narrative um, it, it's something we feel very deeply about. And it, it's not something new. If you look at uh, guys like Sartre and some of those philosophers, you know, they'd say something like, the only thing that is forbidden is to forbid. It's the same thing. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Okay? Um, and we see that Adam and Eve were actually wanting the same thing. They wanted the same thing. If you, if you look at, 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 at the text, it, it says that uh, Adam and Eve, were, they were naked, but they, they weren't, weren't ashamed. And then the serpent comes to them, and, and he starts tempting them. And how does he tempt Eve? He basically, because remember, we tend to want to see freedom as freedom from constraints. I'm only free if there are no constraints on my life. So what does he do? He, he deceives Eve and he says, he, he tries to um, imply that God's constraints are more severe than they really are. Did God really say you may not eat of any of the trees in the garden? That's a bit harsh. So, so he makes the rules, he makes the rules look more severe, more constraining, more debilitating than they really are. Did God really say you may not eat of any of the trees in the garden? And then he goes further and, and, and he, uh, she says, no, no, he said we might eat of the trees in the garden, but just the, the tree in the middle of the garden, we might not eat of it, nor touch it, lest we die. Uh, because in the day we touch it, we will certainly die. And then he says, no, you will not certainly die. And then he insinuates that God is withholding something, withholding a certain amount of freedom and power from Adam and Eve. He says, because God knows that when you eat of the fruit of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like him knowing good and evil. In other words, you'll be more free, according to him. And it's, um, 
it's, it's as though the devil is saying God is trying to make himself indispensable in your life. You know, you know that guy who has the certain skills, you know, who, can, who, who program the software and he doesn't want to teach anyone else how to work the software because as long as the, the company uses that software and he's the only one out, know, that knows how to use it, he's indispensable. And, he, and you can sort of hold the company to ransom. And, and it's, it's as though the devil is insinuating God is trying to hold you to ransom. He's trying to be the only one who knows what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, so that you're constantly dependent on him. And um, what we realize, though, and uh, let me just see where did I put the other scriptures here, is that there was a good reason why God gave certain constraints. See, our idea of freedom, absolute negative freedom, freedom from all constraints, is misguided. It's impossible. For us as human beings, as dependent beings, you, you cannot be free from everything. Okay? So let me just show you this in Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, this is part of the creation account, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And, so it, was, and it was so. Uh, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God does something similar, you know, with, um, with the, say, the fish of the sea, for instance. He says, you know, let there be fish in the sea, you know, let the t- sea be teeming with fish. So here's something interesting that God does. When God creates something, when he creates plants, he speaks to the soil. And he says, let the soil produce plants and trees. And, and, and trees and plants come up from the soil. Now, what happens when you pull a plant out of the soil? It dies. God speaks to the water and says, let there be fish. What happens when you take a fish out of water? <laughs> it dies, Right? And then in verse 26, it it says, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God speaks to the soil to create plants. He He speaks to the water to create fish. He speaks to himself to create mankind. Now, if by speaking to the source of something, he creates it, and if you take something like a plant out of its source, the soil, it dies, you take a fish out of its source, the water, it dies, what will happen if God is our source? Because remember, he spoke to himself when he created us. What will happen when you take us out of God? We die, right? We die. So when, when God told Adam and Eve... You know, obey me. Don't try and be free from me. He was not trying to spoil their fun or limit their freedom because um, he was trying to be nasty and mean. He was limiting their freedom. He was telling them the natural limits of the freedom for which he created them. He was telling them, if you try and free yourselves from these constraints, you will die. Just like a fish out of water, you will die. Just like a plant plucked up and uprooted, you will die. Because this is what you were created for. I am the soil that you grow in. I am the substance that you can breathe in. Because I made fish with gills and they cannot breathe air. They can only breathe in the water. 
So, so when you're outside of me, you cannot breathe. When you plucked up from me, you cannot grow. You will die. In other words, you know, we, we mustn't try and seek freedom in terms of no constraints. We should try and seek freedom in terms of finding those constraints which are liberating constraints, life-giving constraints, and then live within them because that's what we were designed for. Okay? Now, the, we, we see, in other words, that this idea of freedom, absolute negative freedom, freedom from all constraints, brings us into trouble when it comes to God, but it also brings us into trouble when it comes to one another. Because think about this for a moment. Any relationship requires you to give up some freedom. Right? All relationship, when you step into a relationship with someone, when it's a genuine and a deep and an intimate relationship, you give up some freedom. It's a loss of freedom. Isn't that so? I mean, think about it, you know, and, and you know, silly, you know, typical man that I was, you know, I, I took a while to sort of get this, you know. I was so used to, you know, being a single man, doing what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, without consulting anyone. When I started, you know, when, when Rochelle and I got engaged and eventually got married, you know, sort of, not to be nasty, but out of force of habit, you know, I, I, I sort of kept along that trajectory and I still did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do, sometimes, not all the time. And then I forgot to consult <laughs> And I forgot to consult Rochelle and even tell her. And I remember there was this one evening when um, I went to visit a friend. And for some other reason, I didn't have a cell phone. Maybe I'm old enough that there weren't cell phones at that stage. Who knows? But we were... were, were (laughs) And uh, I went to visit this friend, but I forgot to tell Rochelle. And... um, I came, I came home, you know, after, you know, I think it was a birthday party or so and, uh, where, where I went to visit a friend and, you know, we cared like uh, and ate uh, uh, butternut soup and all kinds of stuff and had deep chats and I came home quite late. I can't remember what time, but it was quite late. And when I got home, just as I was sort of walking in the gate, uh, one of my other friends came driving in and Rochelle got off the car in tears devastated, weeping, you know. And she came to me and she grabbed me and she was shaking like she was crying. And I just didn't, I mean, I, wasn't, I was really not trying to be mean, please. <laughs> but I'd just forgotten to tell her and to, to let her know I was going to, the, to visit this friend and so on. And she was worried. She thought, you know, some other, you know, gang had mugged me and beat me up and I was, you know, left dying on the, on the sidewalk or something. At least she cried for me, you know. <laughs> didn't, didn't punch me or something. <laughs> but I, I hadn't, I, I, I didn't take into account the fact that I had actually given up my freedom to do what I wanted to, when I wanted to, without consulting Rochelle. Because when I married her, I, we became one flesh. And I was supposed to tell her, honey. In, in fact, I was probably supposed to ask her, honey, can I <laughs> go to this party? <laughs> Yes, and do you want to come with me? <laughs> so, um, we, all, we all know this. You know, the more intimate a relationship is, the more you actually have to give up some freedom to be in that relationship. And um, that means that a wrong idea of what freedom is actually keeps us away from relationship and actually damages our relationships. So in a sense, we want, we want the right idea of what freedom is, 
not so that we'll be free from relationship, but so that we'll be free in relationship. Okay. Um, now, it's interesting, I mean, if, you, if we go along the trajectory of what um, Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, you know, the idea of, I want to be free, and in order to be free, I must be able to decide for myself what is right and wrong. Eat from the, knowledge of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that I can decide for myself what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, not depending on God to tell me what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. Um, and we think that that will make us free because think about it for, for a moment. If, if God, like I think Dostoevsky, one of the, uh, yeah, I think it was Fyodor Dostoevsky, the, the Russian writer, they write all these thick books, you know, they never know. Russian writers don't know how to finish a book. <laughs> Um, you know, if you think about the brothers Karamazov and all those, these very thick books. Anyway, he, he, he said, if God doesn't exist, then everything is permitted. Because if God doesn't exist, then everything is permitted. Because then, then we can literally decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. And, and our culture has embraced that. Oh, that's right for you, but it's not right for me. It's true for you, but it's not true for me. That's what our culture says, isn't it? Okay? And if there is no God, like many in our culture assume, and like secularism actually assumes, then yes, who's to say what is right and wrong? Who's to say what is good and evil? Then there's no absolute standard. Then you cannot tell other people. You cannot impose your standard on other people if God doesn't exist. And, and because we think that'll make us free, you know, us as mankind have, have a long history of trying to get rid of God trying to be free from God because then we are free from constraints and limitations and, and then ev- everything is, is permitted. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. And we see it here in, in the text that we read. It says, the eyes were open um, and, and, and they realized that they were naked. They sowed the fig leaves. Um, and then, then we have this, this you know, funny interchange where, where they hear God, the sound of God walking in the cool of the garden. Now, those of you who have kids, you know, if you're a, a, you know, a, a half-decent parent, and, and even if you're not, you know, even if you're not the greatest parent in the world, it's amazing how your kids love you. You know, especially us dads, you know, we, we, we go to work and, you know, our, it, you know Ethan, my, my little son, he, he likes imitating me. And, and sometimes I don't even realize it. And sometimes that's, you know, very sort of, it makes you feel good about yourself, but sometimes it makes you worry a bit as well. Because then you see things in them and like, is that, do I do that? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh no, you know, it's like a little mirror reflecting you. But you know, the other day we were, we were cooking, or I was, I was cooking, I was making a, a meal and... Um, I can't remember, I'd, I'd sort of unbuttoned my, 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 my jacket, you know, or unzipped my jacket, and, and then I rolled up my sleeves, you know, because I was getting a bit hot. And, and, and next thing I see, Ethan, st- he's standing on, on the chair next to me. He's helping me, you know, make food. You know, he's also unbuttoned his, you know, unzipped his little, his little uh, tracksuit, and he was also pulling up his sleeves, you know, because he wants to look like his, like his dad. And, um, you know, then you go to work, and, and, and you work, and they don't see you all day. And when you come home, you know, they run to you and they jump on you and they grab you and they hang on your legs and so on. And it's, it's all great, you know, and you, you love it and, it, and, you, and, and it makes you feel very loved and feel very good. But there are times when they don't do that. So usually they come running to you and they grab you and they scream and squeal with delight and so on. But sometimes they don't. You know when they don't? It's when mama said, wacht tot your pa is to come. <laughs> 
You've been naughty, wait until dad comes home. <laughs> now, the feeling I get is like Adam and Eve were like that. They're like, oh, oh, you know. Usually, I mean, you can imagine, God is the perfect dad. I mean, usually when they heard God walking in the cool of the garden, they must have run to him and said, yeah, you know, daddy, Abba, you know, <laughs> we're so glad to see you. Because he's such a loving and such an amazing father. But what did they do now instead? They go and hide, you know, <laughs> behind the trees. Which, by the way, God created, you know. <laughs> and then God patiently comes walking into the garden. And he says, Adam, where are you? Now, of course, you know, when an all-knowing being asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Okay, it's because he wants you to think about the answer. You know, what are you doing? Where are you? You know, you're hiding from me, seriously? <laughs> I created you. And, and then we have this thing playing out where, you know, Adam starts making excuses. You know, realized that, you know, we were naked and, and we made coverings and so on. And, and God says, who told you we were naked? The, the woman you gave me. She, <laughs> you know. And I, I, th I think in, in marriages and so on, it's, you know, we often talk like that. Lordy, this, this woman you gave me. <laughs> there's something wrong with her, Lord. You need to fix her. Lord, this husband you gave me. You know, there's something broken with him. His ears don't work or something. He doesn't hear me. You know, you need to fix him, God. It's your fault. It's a, it's a design error. <laughs> you need to fix him, Lord. <laughs> and um, so, you know, Adam says it's Eve. Eve says it's a snake, and of course the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. And, you know, what, what's, what's funny to me about this whole, this whole interaction here is it helps us see what our freedom from God, in inverted commas, leads to. Okay? Firstly, it leads to self-centeredness. Because when we free from God, we, we, we don't realize that we're free from God as our source. We, we, well, we try and be free from God as our source. We try and be free from God as the center of our lives. But if you decenter yourself from God, you have to recenter yourself on something else. And what we do is we recenter ourselves on ourselves. And we become the center of our lives. We become self-centered. And we can see it in the interaction there. Adam immediately begins and starts making excuses for himself. And what does he do? He blames Eve. This woman that you gave me. And in fact, he's actually blaming God as well. God, it's, it's, it's you and it's the woman you gave me. That's the problem in the situation. Not my fault. I'm innocent. Okay? Now, I just want us to feel this because I really feel this. You know, how often do we do that in relationship? How often do we do that in friendship? How often do we do that in marriage where we do something wrong, the other person complains about it, and what do we do? We justify ourselves. We defend ourselves. We blame them. Okay? I know it's not just me. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I'm not the worst sinner in this. I'm one of the worst sinners, but I'm not the worst sinner in this place, and I'm not the worst sinner in the world. So I know I'm not the only one who does this. Okay? We justify ourselves. We make excuses for ourselves. We, we judge other people on their actions and we judge ourselves on our intentions. And, and, and according to us, our intentions are always good. Noble, in fact. 
But the reality is it all actually flows out of a sinfulness, a sinful selfishness. And it, it, it causes us to not be free. It causes us to not be free. We are not free from ourselves to be able to love one another. We are so bound, so curved in upon ourselves, like Augustine said, um, that we cannot actually love God and love one another. You know, so the problem, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the joke is on us. We want to be free from God, and we think that'll give, give, make us free to do whatever we want to do, but it ends up being bondage. It ends up bringing us into such bondage that, that we cannot, you know, our relationships don't work as well as they should. They're not as fulfilling as they should. They break up. They're broken. And, and, and also, the, you know, the other reason why the joke is on us is because it's not just us who embrace that selfish freedom, but every human being does it. Every human being that we're in relationship with. And now you, we tend to have a situation in a fallen world where, where you always have two selfish parties who are centered on themselves, looking out for themselves, trying to relate to one another and then actually end up using one another. And we do that. We end up using one another. And we need to recognize that freedom from God is bondage to self. Okay? Because here's how it works. When when we're self-centered, when we're in bondage to ourselves, what do we say? Your comfort for mine. Your best interest for mine. Your life for mine. And words, you must serve me. You must lay down your life for me. You must lay down your comfort for me. You must lay down your best interests for me. And when we self-centered, we cannot help thinking in that way and acting in that way. And it taints all of our relationships. And we are not actually free. We are in bondage. I mean, it doesn't just lead to self-centeredness. Like I said, it leads to, to sinfulness. And we start sin, not only sinning against one another, you know, like Eve giving the, 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 the fruit to Adam. Um, and Adam not... You know, and and, and it's, it's both sins of commission and sins of omission. Okay? Eve committed a sin. She, she did a sin of commission. She gave the fruit to Adam and tempted him with it. Adam committed a sin of omission by not only taking the fruit and eating it, omitting to obey God, but, but then, you know, not, not actually. He omitted to, to be the leader of, you know, that God intended him to be and to, to, to protect his wife and say to her, no, we shouldn't be doing this. God said to us we shouldn't be doing this. We should rather trust God than trust the devil. But now we're tempted to doubt God, to be suspicious of his motives, and to rather trust the devil who has a forked tongue. You know, anything with a forked tongue you don't trust. <laughs> Speaks two ways. Um, and then they sin against each other and then they blame each other for it. Now, it doesn't stop there. It's not just self-centeredness, sinfulness, but also shamefulness. Because the, the next step, the final step is... and. Sinfulness leads to a feeling of guilt. You feel bad, and that caused Adam and Eve to hide in the garden. But it wasn't just the guilt, because eventually what you do wrong, the lie starts sticking in your head 
what you do determines who you are. And you start thinking, I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. And you start feeling shame. Where guilt is wrongness of doing, shame is wrongness of being. And, and what do we do? Like Adam and Eve, we start trying to cover, putting on the fig leaves, trying to cover up ourselves because we feel there's something wrong with ourselves. And once again, all of that leads to less freedom in our relationship because now I can no longer, because I mean, we're still covering ourselves with fig leaves, just metaphorically. In relationship, we're still covering ourselves. We, we, we cannot open ourselves up. We cannot be vulnerable because we're ashamed of who we are, not only towards God, but also towards one another, which means that we are not free to fully give ourselves to one another in relationship, in marriage or whatever. So, the wrong kind of freedom doesn't actually free us. So what does free us? What does free us is, like I said, to find the right constraints, the liberating, life-giving constraints, and to live within them because that's what God created us to be. Okay? And like I said last week, you know, for a fish, that's water. And for us, that's God. That's God. Let me tell you a little story I heard once. Um, that I thought illustrates this beautifully. It was a, a play that they were doing on Broadway. A bunch of actors, they had the directors, stagehands, all there. They were working hard, rehearsing, um, practicing their lines, memorizing their lines, and then acting it out and so on. Um, and it just wasn't working. And everyone could sort of sense this play is not working. It's, it's, not, it's not happening. There's no spark. You know, there's, there's no connection. Something's wrong. And they, and they couldn't initially tell what was wrong, but everyone, the director, all the actors, everyone could feel something was not right. Something just wasn't happening. Something just wasn't working properly. And so eventually, sort of in desperation, because they were you know, starting to approach the, the time when, when the, 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 the show would open, and, and, and still they couldn't get things to work properly. You know, everyone knew their lines. Everyone knew their steps. Everyone knew their, their their parts and, and so on, and they were doing it, but it just wasn't working. So the director, sort of in desperation, decided to, to swap the main leading actress with one of the supporting actresses. And he just swapped them around and said, okay, you know, just, just, just swap the roles and let's just, let's just try this and see what happens. And, and because they'd been acting together, you know, and, and towards one another quite a bit, you know, they knew one another's lines and, and it was easy to pick up one another's lines. And as soon as he made that switch, all of a sudden, boom, it started to work. The play started to happen. There was a spark. And, and, and what they all realized immediately, you know, as the things started to really working was that the lady who, who initially played the leading role that was the main actress just didn't have the acting ability to carry the play. Whereas the the lady was playing the supporting role, actually was a brilliant actress, and, and as soon as she was put in the leading role, she just flourished, and she, she was just such a strong actress, and she just carried the role, and everything else around her fell into place. And to me, that's such a beautiful parable of our lives. Because we don't have what it takes to carry the play. We write our own script so that we're the main, we're the leading actor or actress. But we don't have what it takes to carry the whole play. 
And we, say, we relegate Jesus to a supporting role in our lives. You, you're the supporting actor in my life. Yes, I want you in my life. I want you in my life. I want to go to church. I want to go to small group. I want, I want to be Christian. I want my sins forgiven. I want, you know, happy ever after and all that, you know, all the, the benefits of Christianity, the retirement benefits that are out of this world. You know, I want all of that. But I want you in a supporting role. You're the supporting actors, actor, and I'm the, I'm the main man. I'm the leading actor. And we all do that. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve does, uh, did, and that's exactly what we all do. Humanity has been doing t- since, since the Garden of Eden. We relegate Jesus to the supporting role. But you know what happens when we do what that director da- did, and we just swap the roles, and we say, Jesus... <laughs> I realize I'm not a good enough actor to carry the script. In fact, I shouldn't be writing the script. You should be writing the script, and you should be writing it in a way that you are the leading actor, and I am in the supporting role. And then, just like with that play, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will start to work. There will start to be a spark in our lives. Our lives will start to happen. Because... Not only does that affect our relationship with Jesus, because if I make myself the leading actor, then it's not only Jesus that's in the supporting role. Everyone else in my life is in the supporting role. My wife, my children, my friends, my colleagues, all of them are in supporting roles. I, because they must make me look good, I'm the leading actor. And I think that's going to make me free. It actually doesn't make me free. It puts me into bondage to myself. And my life doesn't work like a bad play or a play that's written for someone that's a better actor than me. And as soon as I make that switch and Jesus becomes the main actor and I become a supporting role along with everyone else, then not only is my relationship with Jesus right and my life like that play actually works, but my relationship with everyone else also works better. Because now it's not me as the leading man relating to my wife who must you know, act in a way that makes me look good, but we're both in a supporting role, acting or living to make Jesus look good. And then all of a sudden, it works between us as well. Can you see that? And I think that's one of the most fundamental changes that needs to happen in every human life. I mean, if you, if you, if you think about this, I mean, I, Got a little picture here. Initially, uh, Ptolemy and, and the other um, ancient scientists thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. So they had, they had that model with the Earth in the center and then the Moon orbiting the Earth, Mercury, Venus uh, uh, orbiting, and then the Sun orbiting <laughs> the Earth as well. And, and you can understand on a superficial level why, why they would think that, right? Because it, from our perspective... It looks as though the sun goes around the earth, you know? And, and when they didn't know that the, that the earth actually rotates around its own axis, you can understand why they thought that, okay? But they also found that it just didn't work. The movement of the heavenly bodies just didn't make sense. If you scientifically calculate them, you try and make sense of it, it just doesn't work. And, and so many people, their life is like that. They try and make sense of the movement in their life, and it just doesn't make sense because they take themselves as the center of the universe. But as soon as they made the switch, as soon as Copernicus and those guys figured out, no, the sun is the center, and the earth and all the other planets orbit around the sun, 
all of a sudden, everything fell into place. Everything made sense. And, you know, as big a change in worldview as that was for science, from the earth being the center to the sun being the center, that same kind of shift in worldview and in heart space we need to make if we want to be free. Because the earth is free as it orbits the sun. And we'll be free as we orbit around God as the center of our universe. And then everyone else will be able to orbit with us and we won't crash into one another so much. So, here's the thing. Um, when we, if we want to be free in relationship, we need to, we need to be free from ourselves. We need to not be the center of our own universe. We, not, we need to not be the, the leading actor. We need to move ourselves from the leading role to the supporting role, from the center of the universe to, to, to just one, one of many bodies orbiting the center and God as the center. And, but the, the, the problem is, you know, we're so afraid that if I do not take care of myself, if I do not put myself first, if I do not look out for number one, then who is? We need someone to look out for us because the reality is if you're in a relationship and both people repent of their selfishness, of their sinfulness, of their shamefulness, both people let their guard down, both people are there to serve one another and not themselves, then it works. But if one is selfless and the other one is selfish, then the selfish one just exploits and abuses the selfless one. We need someone to look out for us. And, and we can only be selfless and take that risk of, of being selfless if there's someone who puts us first. We can only take that step of not putting ourselves first in the leading role if there's someone who puts us first. And that's exactly what God did. We talk about, um, you know, if, you, if you're in, in relationship, you, you lose some freedom, Right? you're in a relationship, you lose some freedom. And you might ask, but I mean, yeah, sure, I have to lose freedom to be in relationship with God, but does God lose freedom to be in relationship with me? Oh, absolutely. Just think how much freedom Jesus lost when he went from heaven to earth, when he went from the glorious Son of God, omniscient, omnipresent, and in it, uh, you know, all-knowing, all that kind of stuff, and he didn't stop being those things. He didn't stop being God. He didn't stop being all-knowing, all, uh, you know, ever-present. But he temporarily laid down the exercise of those divine attributes so that he could limit himself to a human body, so that he could limit himself to a human life. I mean, for instance, the Bible says in, um, in Hebrews 5, it says um, the Son, Jesus, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, of course, an all-knowing being cannot learn anything. So the only way that Jesus could learn anything and, and, and experience a human experience was to temporarily and voluntarily lay down the exercise of his omniscience, of his all-knowingness, so that he could be born as a little child and learn and grow as a human being. I mean, that's a massive, that's the greatest loss of freedom ever. But not only did it stop there, not only, uh, according to, to um, Philippians 2, he didn't only consider 
His equality with God, God, he didn't consider it something to be grasped, something to be clung to, that freedom, that power, something to be grasped and clung to. He let go of that, but he became human. But not only did he become a human, he became a servant. And he unconditionally served us. And then he died on the cross for us. In other words, here's the point. Jesus lost all his freedom, even his life, to the point of losing his life on the cross so that he could put us first. So that he could say, where, where mankind has been saying all along, your life for mine, Jesus said, my life for yours. My comfort for yours. My best interest for yours. My life for yours. And when, when we have this greatest person of all time putting us first, saying, my life for yours, I'm going to serve you, it frees us to serve one another, to not be so, oh, who's going to look out for me? Who's going to take care of me? Jesus is going to take care of you. You can actually sacrifice and give up some of your freedom to take care of the people around you. It's safe to do it if you if you have Jesus in your life. It, it really is safe. Because he knows how to take care of us. He knows how to look after us. And if he's done that for us, should we not do it for one another? And when we do it for one another, do you realize how free we will be in our relationships? Free in God and free from ourselves. And actually free to be ourselves. Because we no longer have to make this whole thing work. We're no longer the leading actor. Jesus is. And we can just be ourselves. We can just let our hair down. We can just relax. And let him lead us. And it's only when you're in God that you will be truly free to be yourself. And it's only if you're in God that you'll allow other people to be truly free to be themselves. Because just like the gospel sets you free of constantly measuring yourself and checking whether you measure up, the gospel actually sets you free to stop measuring other people and checking whether they measure up, whether they're doing well enough. And they can actually be free around you. So what we all need is that fundamental shift, a shift in our center of gravity, from us being the center to God being the center. And yes, it is a loss of freedom, but I'm telling you now, that is the most liberating and life-giving loss of freedom you will ever suffer. And it's totally worth it. Let's just close our eyes. Lord God, we... We just come to you in Jesus' name, and we just want to thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, your way of doing things, even though initially it feels a little counterintuitive to us, Lord, <clears throat> it is ultimately the best, Lord. You, your wisdom is true wisdom. Your ways are true ways, and who the sun sets free is free indeed. And therefore we come to you, Jesus, as the sun, the one who said, Your, my life for yours. 
we come to you and, and we just we want to surrender ourselves, Lord, and, and also say we want to give our lives to you as you gave your life to us. And we thank you, Lord, that as we make ourselves your servants, even your slaves, you make us freer than we can ever be by ourselves. I'm just going to ask the, the ushers just to hand out the elements of the communion. And what these elements of the communion represent, of course, is Jesus giving his life for us. Jesus saying, my life for yours. And I just want us to, to ask him one thing. <clears throat> in fact, maybe one, one thing in general, and then... I want you to make it specific. So the one thing I want you to ask him is say, just, just admit to him, Lord, I am still often in bondage to myself. I am still often in bondage to, to my own sin. I am still often the center of my own universe. And I, and I do still often want other people to orbit my life and to be the supporting cast in my play. Just, just admit that to him and say, Lord, Free me from myself. Make me free from me. Make me free from myself. Make me free so that I'm not self-centered and in bondage to myself, but help me make that shift to orbiting you. I want to live for an audience of one, and that, that audience of one is you. We're going we're gonna to eat, uh, eat and drink together in a moment, but just start doing business with the Lord so long. And then I want you to apply that to a specific relationship in your life. Whether that's a marriage relationship, whether that's a friendship, whether it's a, a, a parent-child relationship, whatever it is. But I want you to apply it and say, God, in this relationship, how do you want, to de-center, how do you want me to decenter myself and, and, and how do you want me to recenter myself on you so that I can serve this person better? So I can be less selfish in this relationship. Just, just in your own words. Just want you to pray that, and then we, in a moment we're going to eat and drink together. Let's just pray together. Lord God, we just admit, Lord God, that Lord, we, we so easily, Lord, drift back into selfishness. And we, we repent of it, Lord, so many times, but, but it's so natural for us to just drift back into it. Drift back into selfishness, Lord God, self-centeredness. And, and we pray, Lord God, that, that we will not only try and avoid self-centeredness, but that we'll actively work towards God-centeredness. Lord, we don't just want to remove ourselves from the center. We want to replace ourselves with you at the center. And we want to do it consistently. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us with that, Lord, so that we can also love and serve one another better. Please give us this grace. And Lord Jesus, as we, we eat this bread, which represents the ultimate act of unselfishness, of self-sacrifice, we just receive the grace to make that shift in our center of gravity from us to you. Let's eat together. And just before we drink the cup, I just sense the Lord is saying... Um, that we, we know, each of us, when we're honest with ourselves and when we're not playing the blame game like Adam and Eve, we, we know that we've sinned against one another, we've sinned against people, and people have sinned against us. And, and, and both those things lead to bondage. 
and, and I just feel the Lord wants us and, and maybe he wants you to just take the specific relationship that you were thinking of and both repent and forgive. Um, so consider going to that person, speaking to that person after, after the service or somewhere during the course of the week and just firstly repenting to them and say, saying to them, sorry for how I've sinned against you. Sorry for how I've let you down. Sorry for where I've been selfish in our relationship. Please forgive me. And then if they repent, or even if they don't, also just saying, and I forgive you if you need to forgive them. I just, I just feel, because this is what this cup represents. It represents the blood of Jesus, which brings forgiveness. And he says... Not only that we can be forgiven, but that we ought to forgive one another. And, I've, and I just sense that the Lord is saying that there's, there's some bondage that we're walking in because, number one, we fail to repent enough, and number two, we fail to forgive enough. And, and remember, when you forgive someone, you're not saying that what they did was okay. You're not condoning what they did. You're just saying, I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I'm not going to try and punish you for what you did. I'm, I'm leaving you in God's hands and in his justice. Lord God, we just, Lord, as we drink this cup, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord, that you forgave us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood washes away all our sins, even though we don't deserve it. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us and give us the grace to be quick to repent and quick to forgive one another. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. I'm going to close the service now in a moment, but um, if you need prayer for anything, especially for relationship and especially for brokenness in your relationships, you know, maybe you've been hurt so badly you struggle to trust. Maybe, maybe you've built up walls around your heart to protect your heart and, and and, and you found that not only do those walls keep the hurt out, they also keep the love out. And you realize that, that that way of doing it doesn't work. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you for those walls to be broken down, for those hurts to be healed. And if that's you, you're welcome to come forward um, after I've closed the service. Father God, we just come to you and say, Lord, you are so awesome, Lord. You are so wonderful, Lord. Your word is so wise and so liberating. We thank you, Lord, that we can receive your truth and that the truth can set us free. Lord, and I just pray, Lord God, that, that each of us will be set free, Lord, and walk out of you more free than we walked in, Lord God. Free to love one another. Free to serve one another. Free to, to be ourselves around one another. Just pray your blessing over all your people. And I specifically pray, Lord, your blessing over our relationships, especially those, those close family relationships like marriage and parents and children, Lord. Just pray your blessing over them. Please bless those relationships. Cause them to grow. Protect them, Lord, where the evil one constantly wants to come in and nudge us back into self-centeredness and using one another and hurting one another. We pray, Lord, that you'll constantly drag us out into God-centeredness so we can serve one another and love one another well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.